0: Women do it all. At least we try to. The kids, the house, the partner, the business. It's a lot. The mom is the sun in her universe, the nucleus in her family. And high-achieving female executives, CEOs, and entrepreneurs want to be the best at everything all at once. But what about us? Our healing, our happiness, our health. There is a way to easily put ourselves first so that we can be the foundation we want to be for everybody else while we are thriving. Join me as I teach you how I learn to take care of myself consistently and without feeling any mom guilt. You can take care of you, feel great, and run your business and home with ease and harmony. Come reawaken your truest self so you can be the happy center of your dynamic world. I'm Katie Noel, the Quantum Health and Mindset Coach. Your health and happiness is only a quantum healing journey away. Hello, hello. Welcome to this week's very special episode of the Quantum Health and Mindset Podcast. This week, I get to bring you an interview with an incredible woman, Miss Sharon Merritt. And Sharon and I have been Facebook buddies for years now. She's one of those people that just came into my life like an angel. Um, We instantly were drawn to each other. We became close friends. We chat a lot. We share pictures of our families. And we've just had this relationship where we instantly felt very close and Really, like, we connected on so many levels about so many things. And I want to share this interview with you because, and I did this interview because I wanted to share Sharon's story. And I wanted her to be able to tell it to you in her own way because it is the story of a warrior. It is the story of faith in God and the universe It is the story of a mother and a grandmother. It's the story of a woman. And it's a story that I think every woman can benefit from hearing because of so many components that make Sharon's journey really powerful and unique. Sharon has conquered breast cancer. Sharon has learned to advocate for herself in the healthcare system. Sharon has created a ministry to help other women who are dealing with breast cancer to help educate them, support them, and even do special things that are super personalized, like pick them up from the airport and accompany them to um, a facility that Sharon went to herself and that she recommends to these other women. Um, She's absolutely Taken something that can really knock a person down and used it as a pedestal to step up and become this warrior woman who is now helping other women, empowering other women. And I want you to hear this story because if you're in a place in life where you feel weak, vulnerable, scared, um, where you feel like you're overwhelmed or busy. And this doesn't have to be something as intensive as breast cancer, right? Sometimes just being a mom, just being a woman, just being a grandma, um, that can be a really intense journey. And so empowerment stories are not just for those who are experiencing the same things. Um, So Sharon's journey is really incredible. And you know, of course we've chatted for many years, but there was a lot of her journey that I wasn't aware of before we got on this interview call. And, um, you know, I feel like it is so critical to make sure that people who have conquered cancer, who have risen up and that Challenges that are so intense in their lives are able to share in their own words because there's a humanity to it, right? There's a personalization to it. There's a, a breath to that story that is lost when it's secondhand. It's lost when you um, see data or research or figures, right? That is something that you can sense and feel. In, her, in an interview like this. And so Sharon and I talk for a good long while about so many things she's experienced um, far beyond her breast cancer journey, which is incredible and, and important and um, inspiring. We talk about um, how and why she learned that there's a need to advocate for yourself when you're interacting with the um, Western Medicine healthcare system, and um, you know, we talk about her life as a mom and some really intense stuff that she experienced as a mother. Um, we talk about the loss of one of the twins of her twin daughter, we talk about um, some health challenges that she's had and her kids have had outside of the breast cancer journey, and really through this interview, we kind of follow this chronological journey as as much as we could while still making this interview very organic and natural in how it flowed. Uh, Because when we are on our path through life, God puts things in our path in an order so that we will be prepared and supported for what is to come. And if Sharon hadn't been through certain things; she wouldn't have handled her breast cancer journey the same way, probably. And there's no way to know that. But as you listen, um, at least my effort was to try to help draw the line, connect the dots, see the stepping stones—the sto- stepping stones that led her kind of down the path that she took in the way that she traveled it, because. Um, in all of these parts of her journey, but especially in her breast cancer part of her journey, she could have taken a very, very, very different path and done things very conventionally, followed doctors' orders to a T, um, not advocated for for herself, not looked outside the box, um, and she could have felt like a victim. She could have spent her time feeling scared and overwhelmed, and she get. Um, Karen really uh, Sharon, sorry. <laughs> I have a client named Karen. Um, Sharon really gave her challenges to God, and used her focus, her energy, her time, her efforts, to do so many other things, um, to find her own way through her breast cancer journey, to advocate for herself in the healthcare system to research outside of the box and find what is best and what worked best for her and continues to work best for her. Um, she even went so far as to challenge the, um, insurance industry and really make sure that she was getting all the reimbursements and all of the financial credit and assistance that she is due. And I was blown away listening to her during this interview to realize that there's so much most of us probably are entitled to that we have no idea it's even out there so um sharon is absolutely a woman warrior so inspiring to listen to one of my favorite people to chat with and get to know better and better in our friendship journey and i hope you enjoy this interview with her and if you have any questions please reach out. Sharon and I are both happy to chat more and more about all of these topics. Check out the show notes. All sorts of information is going to be listed below. Sharon did an interview with um, one of her surgeons that she's really, really excited to share with you. Um, And there's several other notes in here that help you to um, get to know Sharon better. Get more details about her journey with her breast cancer. Um, get more details and and hear her story about um, the twin that she had, God. the twin daughter that she had that ended up passing away. Um, just some incredible extra resources for you if you're interested in checking those out. Thank you for listening today, and I hope you enjoy Welcome everybody to this episode of the Quantum Health and Mindset Podcast. Today I have an incredible guest to interview and and you guys, her story is blow you out of the water amazing. She has so much to share, so much wisdom to impart, and she's the sweetest, most amazing soul. Um, Welcome Sharon Merritt. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to get to spend this time with you today and thank you for having me. This will be fun. It's so exciting. Um, Sharon and I have known each other for a while now, and I just know that there is a whole community out there of women who need to hear her story, her inspiration. Um, She has gone through many, many things that have um, guided her to a beautiful place in her life where she has this wonderful consulting practice, um, and she's really making a difference in the world for women everywhere. And we'll talk about what that practice is all about in a few minutes. But Actually, we're gonna no, try no, to
1: go- it's a ministry. I don't it's think it's for it.
0: Yes, you're right. And and I was trying I was struggling. I'm like what was the word that you use? Um so this ministry is divinely guided and absolutely miraculous and exactly what the world needs more of today. So we'll talk more about your ministry in a minute. I first want to talk about some of the stuff that led you to this place in life, because now you're guiding other women and now you're helping other women to heal. But we always have to remember that when somebody is in a place of being a mentor, being a leader, helping others Um, it's not because they've walked a really simple and easy path. It's because they've had their own challenges and, and Sharon, you've gone through a lot. And every time that you and I have talked about some of the things that you've been through your mindset and, and the way you approach things has been so positive, so strong and bold. And, um, you just have such strength. And I know that comes from God. I know that comes from your experiences but it's an inspiration to young women, to mothers, to women that are struggling, to women who are going through some of the things that you've gone through. Um, For those of you listening, Sharon has had breast cancer and conquered her breast cancer. And um, that is only a little piece of her amazing, incredible path that she has walked. So we're going to start way back when you were a young mother and um, Sharon, you had you have three living daughters and one daughter that passed when she was little. And, um, I want to talk about in 1995 first, when you had premature twin babies, 85, 85, I wrote it down incorrectly. Okay. That is a big piece of your journey that you've gone through over the last two and a half years with your cancer. Um, And so I I think we kind of have to walk that path a little bit during this interview. So people understand how strongly that influenced you now today. So can you talk about when, when your baby girls were born and how um, you really advocated for them in a medical system where very few people were doing that back then?
1: Okay. In 82, I had my first daughter, Erica, and she ended up being they didn't know she was turned around. So she came out face up instead of face down. So she had jaundice. Yeah. So I went home on Friday and she stayed in the hospital till Sunday. So that was kind of our first touch at having to deal with the hospital and things not being the way you would expect them to be. And so she was fine though. She came home, everything was fine after that, other than having to put her in the window with the sun and everything to get rid of the Cause jaundice. she ended up jaundiced cause she had a big bruise on her forehead. But that was kind of our first experience. But then two and a half years later, we had babies again, which for 31 weeks, I kept getting told I had one good sized baby. And yet everybody at work would be like, you know, you're having twins. And I would go to buy maternity clothes and they'd ask me why I was buying maternity clothes because I was so big at five weeks at five months. And at 31 weeks, I woke up on a Wednesday morning and I was spotting and I called the doctor and they said, oh, stay home from work. today. keep your feet up, called them a couple more times. Finally, they told me to go to the hospital and get checked because it turned out the doctor was off that day and the hospital checked me and they said, yeah, you're definitely bleeding. And they came back and said, well, the doctor said to send you home and have you go in tomorrow. So the next day they sent me for an ultrasound. And back in those days, you know, ultrasound technicians couldn't tell you anything. But this ultrasound technician thought I was there for a different reason than why I was. And she's doing the ultrasound. She goes, There's one head, and then she goes, There's the other head. And it's like, The what? I mean, I was 31 weeks and didn't know I have two babies, not one. And, anyways, that was on Wednesday morning or on Thursday morning. And the stupid doctors told them to just send me home and have me keep my following appointment on the following Monday. And so I went home, and then about 12 30, one o'clock in the morning, Friday night, I wake up in a flood. My water broke. And now I've got to go to the hospital. And there was a hospital like five minutes from my house, but they wouldn't let me go to that one. They insisted I go because I made the mistake of calling the doctor before I went to the hospital. I should have just gone to the hospital. But so they made me go to one that was like 15 minutes away instead of five minutes. And when I got there, her cord was out. And they had no delivery rooms and no. OR is available, so they couldn't get her out right away, and so I ended up having an emergency C-section. And woke up to this doctor that her hair all stood out, and it was like you thought you were looking at Einstein or something. She was creepy looking, and she was telling me my babies might have brain bleeds and like listing all this horrible stuff that could be wrong with the kids. And I just, it was horrible. But um, and her the APGAR, Hope's APGARS were one, was zero and one, and Heather's were fine. And four months later, or six weeks, four weeks later, four to six weeks later, I can't remember exactly now. It's in the story I wrote. Heather came home. So I now had a two and a half year old and a four month old at home, or four week old at home. No, I guess it was four months. Boy, I can't, it's it's a long time ago. And, (laughs) um, and one in the hospital. So it was like, constant up and down, up and down, she would be doing well, she wouldn't be doing well, she had this, she had that, you know, and she was stage four BPD baby, which is bronchopulmonary dysplasia, it's premature lungs, and they were having trouble getting her oxygenated. She was there for four months, and then one night I was there, You know, and along the way, one doctor, a GI doctor told me she needed a surgery called funder but the doctors taking care of her convinced me that I misunderstood him and said she didn't need it. So nothing happened. And then at four months, I was there visiting and they had a registry nurse, a non-trained nurse in the neonatal unit taking care of her. She passed her feeding tube down. And I'm like, Donna, you need to check the placement. She goes, I know it's in the right place. But you know, after four months, you've seen what they do. You know what they're doing. And she just insisted she had it in the right place. She poured the formula and hope started turning blue and gagging. And she told me that was normal. And I had to go find respiratory and they came in and just went ballistic. She had poured all her formula in her lungs instead of her stomach. So the next day I had her transferred to a children's hospital, all was done. And in the children's hospital, the doctors were mad at me. They told me I should have brought her sooner and I waited too long. But, you know, by profession, I'm an engineer. I'm not a medical professional. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just listening to the doctors. And so we spent the next eight months at Children's Hospital over Thanksgiving. She had a cardiac arrest. She ended up with um, with a, um, a tracheotomy. She had a G tube. she had respiratory treatments. She did come home one time for 10 days with twenty four hour nursing, but I didn't sleep because I felt like I had to take care of her because I didn't trust the nurses after everything I'd been. through. So she ended up back in the hospital by on. Um, Thanksgiving of that year, she had a cardiac arrest. Um, She ended up, she had caught candida, which is yeast in the blood. And the treatment for the candida is called um, infotericin. And the nurses call it infant terrible because they said that the treatment is as bad as the condition. And it's like the balance to keep, get enough of the infotericin in without killing them. But enough to kill the candida is like really a, a balance over Christmas, she was in an induced coma. And then the day before th- Valentine's Day, they'd gotten her out and everything looked good, except she was now traked and on a ventilator. And they had decided that she was going to come home on a ventilator. It was better to get her out of the hospital. And I showed up on the 13th of February, expecting to meet all the home health care people to get everything set up to bring her home with a ventilator. And her O2 sets were 40 something and her heart rate was 200 and I looked at the nurse and I said "Um, she's not going home is she and she said no and about three o'clock that afternoon she the doctor came in and said you know can we make her a no code there's nothing else we can do you know how much we love her we've taken care of her forever if there was anything we could do we would but at this point if she arrests we can bring her back for maybe a few hours whatever and so she ended up being a no code. And as soon as he walked out the door, she went home. And I just sat in the rocking chair and rocked her. And I remember telling the nurse cause they had the ventilator on and they hadn't shut it off yet. And I told them to shut the damn machine off and get it off of her. It was just, anyways, that was a tough year. And then two years later we had Ashley who teases me that she's my replacement baby. And I said, no, you're my Joe's baby. God restored all that was lost. Didn't get to take Heather home. I mean, I didn't take to get to take Erica home in a wheelchair. Like you normally do. They go home with you. Didn't get to take the twins home, but Ashley, everything was perfect. And I got to take her home. Like everybody else takes their babies home. Yeah. So. God restored all that was lost. I got my, experience
0: that's amazing
1: and what it is not to trust doctors that the buck stops here i need to question everything i need to make the decisions and i just need to research
0: everything they say and and that's what i was saying before um nobody knows that or feels that because they just woke up one day and decided doctors are wrong They've had experiences, right? And and you had other experiences with Heather, right? With Hope's sister, the second twin, who's fine now and and living We had a life. couple
1: of experiences with her. When she was first born, she had something called patent ductus, where the chambers between the heart don't close. And so we were dealing with the fact she might have to have open heart surgery, but there's a medication they give you. And they'll give it to you up to three times. And if the third time it doesn't work, then you have surgery. Fortunately for her, it worked on the second time. So we'd never had to do that. But when she was home at one point, she caught croup. And for those, I mean, I think some moms know what croup is. That's horrible sounding cough. Right. And I took her to the emergency room and they wanted to put a mask on her. And at one point in Hope's journey, they had put a mask on her and she turned blue because babies don't want masks on. And so when they tried to put a mask on Heather, I told them they couldn't do it. And I put my foot down and I argued with them and they argued with me. That's what the doctor wanted. I said, I don't care what the doctor wants. I'm the mom. And you're not putting that mask on my child. You get her an oxygen tent. And in the end,
0: they got her an oxygen tent. I think that's really important because um, as... Horrific and heartbreaking is your journey with hope. Is you you learned, and and as our listeners will hear through this interview, that knowledge, that experience has served you for your other kids and for your own health. Um, and and we're not doctor bashing here, but most certainly I've had my own personal experiences where. Um doctors didn't do the right thing, and they are just people and they have their own experiences. Like the nurse with Hope's tube, like she she shouldn't she, have been she, there. She shouldn't have been there. Right. The hospital compromising thought, position. And and maybe she thought she did the right thing. Maybe she truly did, but it was catastrophic, right? Remember. Um and so. I know, you know, my kids are 14, 10 and six, and I know that I grew up in a family that was very conventional and we never questioned doctors. And when I had my own health journey, which is, you know, very different than yours, but it led me to the same sort of things, searching, researching, questioning, and, and making my own decisions for my health and for my kids' health. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have an example. And it was really scary for me to do something different than what a doctor was saying. So for you to stand in an emergency room type situation with Heather and say, no, don't do that. I've been there and they don't listen easily. They don't go, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Like you have to fight. And and I think that something that I want to say that I wish somebody would have said to me. I wish they would have said it to me over and over and over as mom Trump's doctor. Yeah. Period. You're the mom. And when you said that just now, it it really moves me because it's like, no, I'm the mom. Mm -hmm. I get to choose for my child. I get to choose for myself. And, and I don't know if most people have ever heard that. So thank you for sharing that. Do you know they don't
1: medicine is not black and white. It's called the practice of medicine, and there's a reason why it's called the practice of medicine, because it's not black and white, and the doctors are practicing medicine, Mm -hmm. and all they're going on is previous experience, but what works for one person may not work for another person.
0: And your experiences along the way, if you're hearing this podcast, um, Sharon's experiences, my experiences, those are there to guide you. God is giving you these tough experiences, like what you expected, what you experienced with help to strengthen you, to educate you, to give you what you need to be armed for your future. And it's hard and it, and it's heart wrenching, but if you experience that and you don't learn the lesson, if you don't take the message that's being given to you, that's when really, really horrible things can happen. I mean, you, you probably saved Heather's life that day.
1: I don't know about saving her life, but I made it a lot easier for her. (laughs) Sure.
0: So that is um, kind of in, in, for the purposes of this interview, a beginning point for your own journey, because it, it really helped you to have that foundation of a really strong experience where you knew you were shown that you knew better in some, I mean, it's not that you throw everything the doctors say out the window, but okay. your intuition and your understanding and your presence is absolutely critical for for your children, for yourself. <clears throat> well, another example that actually
1: we didn't talk about before was in 2017, my husband had started having trouble at work. And he's, he's very intelligent. He's an architect by profession. And he's one of the few people that could pass the architectural exam the first time he took it. But he started coming home from work telling me he was having trouble using his computer program. And we couldn't figure out what was wrong. And we got sent through a ton of different doctors, they tested him for everything. And they finally just decided that he had dep- and depression and anxiety issues. And that just didn't make sense to me, but they put him on, you know, how the doctors do put him on every medication out there and he wasn't getting better. He was getting worse. And then my friend, cause I'm, a, I'm in doTERRA, my upline at doTERRA came by one day. Um, she came over to visit for some reason and she was observing him. And she said to me, she goes, you know what? He's got mold illness. And so then I started the fight with the doctors to try and get mold. And they kept trying to send us to an infectious disease doctor. Well, it's not, the infectious disease doctors don't understand mold. They only know of mold giving respiratory problems. They don't know that mold can do all these other things. Like somebody else put to me, it's kind of like the mesothelioma issue. You know, For how many years did they say that there was asbestos wasn't a problem? And now, oh my gosh, they know it's a problem. Well, now we're going through that with the mold issue. And so it took me a while to find, there's a Dr. Shoemaker online who deals with mold. And it took me a while to find somebody that could diagnose him. We had to go to San Diego and pay cash And they diagnosed him and they ordered an MRI and they proved that he had mold, but the insurance company still won't believe it. So we've had to tackle that one on our own with cash, but he's way better than he was. He still can't work. He's permanent disability, but he's he's improved a lot from where he was at when he went on disability. But there's another example of, I mean, I had to. I couldn't get the insurance to pay for anything. They kept just, they, did. you know, they wouldn't believe it. And fortunately now moving to Temecula, we have a doctor here that does treat mold.
0: That's fantastic. But that's I, another I, example
1: of, you know, you got to fight. I mean, we had to fight for everything.
0: Yeah. And, and Ultimately, there's times when we end up having to pay for it out of pocket because the medical system doesn't support what's best for your health. Period. And I'm so glad you brought up that example. I personally have had problems with mold. I live in Colorado. <clears throat> this is the most dry, arid place there is. And mold is becoming increasingly common in houses and buildings here. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely devastating to your immune system. It it absolutely is crippling to your immune system. And for people who are going through a conventional medical diagnosis process, like you said, so often that process is incomplete and that process only considers a narrow amount of percentage of things that could be wrong with you. Right. And and if you if you're not getting answers that make sense, if you're not getting diagnostics and treatments that are actually helping you get better, don't just keep taking prescription after prescription and order after order. Sharon's a great example of of going no, there this doesn't make sense. My husband's this highly intellectual, very smart, very happy person. There's no reason for him to be depressed. And yeah. And we, we, we'd been through this thing where at one point he went blind.
1: Well, this was before we knew about the mold. He went blind in one eye for like five or 10 minutes. And they listed it as an ocular migraine. And, and then we had, right before we moved in 2019, he woke up one day and he gets in the shower and he comes out and he says to me, we need to sell our house right away. And I'm like, you what? If the house is full, no, we need hurry up and sell the house. No, they did the inspection. The house is sold. Escrow closed. No, he like totally. It's like some things would just he had amnesia. And I took him to the hospital and they couldn't find any reason for that. And so, I mean, I think it's the mold, too. I mean, he was fine. He doesn't remember most of the hospital visit. It's kind of crazy. But um, so it's like we. I've had to fight doctors so much that you know, you just learn that they don't know everything and that you have to do your own
0: research. Absolutely. And that's what it comes down to. They know a lot. They're very educated. Some of them are highly specialized, but they don't know everything.
1: No. And And of, of all that mold issue that I was diagnosed with cancer.
0: Okay. So I think that, I mean, that's, that's the reason that I got on this interview. I mean, We chat on Facebook messenger, like old friends. (laughs) And we always have, um, we just, we just always have, and my mom had breast cancer and I think that's part of it, but it's also just because I, am that person that's been through a really challenging health journey and I've had to learn to advocate for myself. And so I'm very drawn to how powerfully you've done that with a breast cancer diagnosis, because I've had challenges doing that for myself and my kids with things that are considered less life-threatening and, and smaller things. Um, I told you about how, even when I was a new mom to my second daughter, and she had a fever. And I had all this education about how fevers are actually really great and they kill the germ. It's your body's defense mechanism to really superheat itself. The body is fine, but the germ can't survive under that circumstance. Um, and I hear I have this infant, my brand new baby girl, and she's sick and she has a fever, and I wasn't giving her ibuprofen. And- My mom would have never done that. My sister, my Nonna, nobody in my family would have done that. And I was terrified. I was terrified, but I knew I had the education to support it. Here you are with a breast cancer diagnosis and advocating for yourself and disagreeing with the doctors and setting your own course of your healing journey in that circumstance is so much bigger than choosing to give your child ibuprofen when they have a fever and you've done it for two and a half years consistently almost four years fearlessly four years right um and every step along the way your attitude and your happiness and your confidence and your strength has has been a huge inspiration for me because I don't have people in my family I'm like forging the path in my family. And so it's like, look at Sharon. She's, she's got breast cancer. She's doing it and, and you're cancer free, but the journey, this cancer journey has been incredible. So let's talk about your diagnosis to start because actually I want to change something you said
1: in the cancer okay. world. we don't, they don't say cancer free because everybody has cancer in their body. It's whether or not it gets activated. So what they call it is no
0: evidence of disease. I love that. And, and I'm glad you said that I know that everybody has cancer in their body, but I think that it would be hugely helpful for people everywhere to know that it sounds scary at first, but it's like, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. It's just like we have bacteria on and in our body all the time. It's when it becomes overgrown. That's the problem.
1: Like in my case, it was HER2, which HER2 is an overproduction of the HER2 protein. And something happened, probably a combination of diet and stress and, and whatever in and the mold allowed it to start overgrowing. And that's what caused the cancer. It got out of control.
0: And when you have something that's out of control you can combat that in a number of ways. And, and in the medical community, more often than not, they give you a one track path and then you have this, this mental battle because it's like, well, if that doesn't work, I'm just, that's the end of my life, you know? And there are so many more paths than that, but you're not going to get that from the majority of the medical community. You have to find those paths to yourself. And you did that. So talk about your diagnosis and, and your mindset from day one with this. Okay. It was incredible. In 2018, like in January, February, I had it started having a
1: nipple discharge. It was kind of like, you know, the, the beginnings of what you get when you when you have a baby, except that you don't get that at 64 or 63. Um, and so I, I watched it for a while, kind of, I guess my, in the back of my mind, just hoping it would go away and it was nothing, but I finally, after a month or two, I had an old order for a mammogram from the year before. Cause I hadn't bothered to do it. So I just, I called the doctor's office, the gynecologist's office and asked, you know, for an appointment, but they were like, well, you have an HMO, we have to get an authorization. And for some reason it was like a month or two. And they didn't get the authorization. And I finally just took the order and went and got a mammogram. And I think I had it on a Monday. And on Tuesday or Wednesday, they called me and said, we need you to come in and and do another one. We saw this shadow. It's probably nothing, but we just wanna make sure. So I went back in on Friday, they did another mammogram. And then they sent me down the hall for an ultrasound. And then a, a radiologist walks in and she goes, I am not gonna candy coat this. You have cancer and I'm right 95% of the time. And I was floored. I didn't know what to think. And I didn't really think about the way she presented it. People said to me last, afterwards, you know, how rude, but I didn't have, you know, you're so like starstruck at that point. You don't really think about how they told you. You are just kind of like in shock. And so they took me outside and they said, well, we can do a biopsy tomorrow, but you have an HMO, you won't be able to get an authorization. So we'll have to do it sometime next week. And I'm like, no, you're doing it tomorrow. I wanna to know, cause I don't wait very easy. And so I got on the phone, I called my primary care and I made Don sure that they got it sent in a stat and that it was covered. And I went in the next day and I had the biopsy and the following, I think Tuesday, they called me and told me it was definitely cancer. And they sent me for an MRI with contrast. And I did that. Then they sent me to a surgeon. And the surgeon was, well, my appointment was at nine o'clock. And I had another appointment at 1045 that I couldn't be late for. And the surgeon was in the room next to me for over an hour discussing his golf game with some male patient. And by the time he came in to see me, it was like 1015. And I had like 15 minutes with him and I had to be gone. And he just does an exam. And he goes, you have you need a lumpectomy and radiation immediately. And my response to him was, well, I need to research it and think about it because you don't have time to research it and think about it. You have to have it immediately or else you're going to need chemo as well. Do you have any questions? And I'm like, no, I don't have time for questions. I have to get out of here. And he says, well, make another appointment and come back with your questions. So I walked out of there like with this, you've got to have a lumpectomy and radiation immediately. And I'm... And the more I thought about it, the more I felt like, you know, that was like a threat. That wasn't, didn't feel like medical advice to me. And so I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do, but I know I wasn't going back to him and paying him another $40 because he wasted my time.
0: Well, and let me just interject here, because I think that that's one of the things that I have experienced personally over and over in the medical community where it feels like a threat. And there's this incredible pressure that something has to be done right now. And that there's, there's no time. And so when you're, excuse me, when you're trying to take care of your child or yourself, you're worried about your health. That makes it feel like even more of a threat because it's like, oh my gosh, I don't have time to research. I don't have time to think I have to do something right. The second it has to be done today. And not that you should put it on a shelf for a year and a half and do nothing. Right. Right. But most certainly I think that your strength in that moment with such a serious diagnosis, right. To go, wait a minute, I should have time. And and that feels threatening. And to do something other than what he was telling you, that's thats really powerful. And I want other women to hear that. I don't
1: know what I was thinking of doing when I left this office. I went and I, had, I saw a therapist and we discussed it all. But then a couple of days later on a Sunday night, I was sitting there getting ready to go to bed. And I somehow, all of a sudden, it's like God told me to, to text this person. There was this person that when in my 20s. I had helped him with a youth group back when I was like 22. And he was a youth pastor. And now he lives in, in the Midwest. And for some reason, I just had this urge to text him. And I hadn't talked to him in five years. And I hadn't seen him in 30 years. But I texted him. And I just said, Ted, I was diagnosed with cancer. Will you please pray for me? And um, I'm just going to shut that up. And so it was really weird because as soon as I texted him, the phone rang and he's on the phone and he's telling me, don't do what the doctors told you to do. And I'm like, what? He goes, no, because I had skin cancer stage four and I was told to put my effects in order. And I met this lady, Sherry, and she told me about Black Salve. and you need to call her. You need to call and talk to her. She can tell you how to deal with it. And I mean, this is kind of like new to me, but I remembered black salve because right. when I was a kid, we used to buy it in the pharmacy and use it for splinters and boils. So it yeah. was something I'd heard of. And I remembered using, but it's it's banned now. You can't buy it in a pharmacy. So I called this lady, and she sent I bought black salve from her and a healing salve to put on it when you used it. And for, and then I started researching everything. And in the meantime, My direct upline in doTERRA was a former oncology nurse. And she told me how her husband died from the treatment from cancer. She didn't believe it was from the cancer. She believed it from the treatment. And then when she got diagnosed with breast cancer, she decided to not do what the doctor said as well. And she researched everything and she was able to get rid of her cancer without the doctors. And she gave me some books to read and some supplements to take. And so I started off on this journey between the Black sap and research and what she gave me. And I threw everything at it I could find. I researched that I found Gumpy Gumpy. I found a sat at tea. I found B17. I found red light therapy. I found low dose. Well, my. Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. But then I, I, you know, I started doing all this stuff and I did it from. 2018 till July of 2019 and we moved here to Temecula and actually I kept doing it I didn't stop doing it but along the way we my kids had moved to Temecula so since my husband was now not working basically retired and I was retired we moved to Temecula got a God gave us this beautiful new house brand new construction view and everything it's just amazing and um, I kept researching dealing with this this nipple thing and everybody's telling me it's not i've researched that and i have come to the conclusion it was paget's cancer disease of the nipple but all the doctors were telling me no 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 it's not that that's so rare but in the meantime one of i went to an urgent care and i asked them i told them i was looking for a holistic doctor and they told me about temecula center for integrative medicine and they actually take medicare uh, and PPO insurance. And I started going there and I could get IV ozone and IV vitamin C, which is all recommended for cancer patients. So I started doing that and I started getting massages and I was I was dancing the chiropractor and acupuncture. So I had built this whole protocol on my own of holistic stuff that I was doing. And I did that for another year. And then uh, along the way in the, one of the Facebook groups, I heard of the RGCC blood biopsy, which is done in Greece, and it's expensive, it's $2,500. But somebody in Pennsylvania told me about a doctor here in Irvine who I researched before, but didn't take HMO, who at the time was taking um, Medicare when I found out about her. And I started seeing her, Dr. Keneally, and she ordered the RGCC and put me on a supplement rotation and then told me to research something called cryoablation, freezing of tumor cells. And so I got on the cryoablation Facebook page. I had found one doctor who I did not go to. And I got in the cryoablation Facebook page. And this lady, Jennifer, told me about Dr. Holmes. She said she went to him and how wonderful he was. And she just raved about him. So I sent all my records to him. And he emailed me back. And he said that I would be a candidate off protocol, which means I didn't fit in the study trial he was doing. But I could still have it done. I just had to pay cash, which was fine with me. Because the idea of no surgery, and and I was kind of at that point where I was really wanted to be done with these tumors. Because even the, the holistic doctor I was seeing now, they're all saying, you know, you really don't want to have these things. And um, so I really liked the idea of the cryoablation because it wasn't surgery. It's done in office. It's you know you go in you're in and out. It, it virtually no recovery. Pretty much some people you know, they're sore for a while or whatever. I had no recovery, Um, but I did also have the pagets. So we did have to remove the nipple at the same time to get rid of the pagets. So um, I did have to deal with a little bit of an incision, but for the cryoablation, it's like a little three millimeter incision that you go home with a little bandaid when you're done. And at six months, my biopsy, my MRI, and my ultrasound were all clean. And I just had my annual one done last month and it's still all clean.
0: I, no, I'm Richard. so excited. No surgery, no. No, no chemo, no radiation. None. And I can't, first of all, I can't believe it's been a year because I remember when you were talking about it and we were messaging about going in for the freeze and I was saying prayers like the day before, <laughs> the day of, the day after. I can't believe that was a year ago. That's it was,
1: a year ago, September 30th. And the only traditional thing I did do, I did do one traditional thing because it was HER2, which is an overproduction of HER2 protein. And a Dr. Slamon had developed something called Herceptin. And Dr. Holmes, when I told him I would not do radiation, even though he recommended it, he said to me, well, at least promise me you'll research anti-HER2 therapy. And my first inclination was, no, I'm not doing any of the traditional stuff. But then another lady on Facebook told me I had to watch the movie Living Proof, which I did. And by the end of the movie, I was in tears. And I looked at my husband and I said, you know what? I think I need to do the Herceptin because it stops the overproduction, which means that you're it's better at keeping from having a reoccurrence. And I researched Herceptin and it can cause heart problems. It doesn't have the side effects of chemo. You don't lose your hair or any of that. It did give me nosebleeds and a runny nose. and occasional headaches and some, you know, immune funky things, but I researched it and the difference between doing it for six months and a year was something like three to 5%. And it can cause a heart problem. And I thought, you know what, it's not worth doing it for a year for like three to 5%. Right. Or in some studies, they say it's no different. So I did opt to do Herceptin for six months. You do it once every three weeks. And the first one was pretty rough, but after that, it was like nothing.
0: What, at what point in your journey was that?
1: Um, I had my cryoablation on September 30th, and I think I started the Herceptin like in November. Okay, so it was after? Yeah, it was after the cryoablation. I kind of wish I had done it before, but nobody until Dr. Holmes ever told me about it which is really weird. Why didn't the first hospital I go? Oh, and go back to that first hospital. My neighbor across the street had had breast cancer and she was totally against me going holistic. And she talked me into going to the hospital's breast cancer support group. She said, oh, if you go, you'll know that what doctors want you to do is right. Well, I went to that support group and the room was like full of probably 50 ladies and they all looked like death warmed over. They had caps on. They just did not look good to me. And they went around the room and told their stories, and then a, probably a third of them at least had had reoccurrences. And it, the the ner- Oh, and when I walked in the door, the table that now we all know that sugar feeds cancer. That's why they use they use contrast when they do an MRI because it's full of sugar because then the cancer sucks it in and that's how they can see the cancer. Well, they've got the tables were covered with Hershey's Kisses. Reese's peanut butter cups and starbursts. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to a cancer support group. That's feeding me where I would eat to get more cancer. And I looked at the lady sitting next to me and I go, do you realize that sugar feeds cancer? And she goes, yeah, I know. And she picks them up and starts eating it. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm in a room full of hypocrites. I was just so uncomfortable. Well, I, and, and- that's a group that my neighbor told me would convince me to do conventional medicine. Right. It convinced me that's the last thing I wanted to do. <laughs> well, and I would come, an excuse, the, I won't say exactly what I said to my husband, but I walked in the house and I said, that's nothing but BS and I'm not doing it.
0: Good for you. well, and let me just say, because you're so educated and and I've got all my self education, but I will say that even though it seems like a no brainer and one of the most basic fundamental concepts of health to you and I, the majority of people do not know that sugar feeds cancer. I know it's crazy, they, and they'll argue it with you.
1: It's and funny. and and they if it doesn't. Why do they use it in the MRIs? Why do they use it in contrast if it doesn't feed cancer? Why would you put sugar in it?
0: Well, and the reality is that that when you learn this kind of stuff, and I want to say this from my own health healing journey, um, when you learn this kind of stuff, that's just one piece of information. And I could lay out a million pieces of information that seem completely abstract when you've always grown up with conventional thinking and medicine, but when you start learning about how the body works and how cells work and how cells metabolize and all these different things that makes perfect sense. It's so logical. It's so basic. It's so fundamental that like you would never question it again, but when you start learning this stuff, it's really scary. It's really scary because everything in society and everything that we've been taught and the majority of the stuff that the conventional medicine community is doing goes against how the body actually heals, how the body actually works, and and so for somebody to say, "Well, sugar feeds cancer," sounds like such a basic thing to us, but for somebody else, it's a really scary potential reality because that threatens how they've been taught to think and what they've been taught is real and and so it's not easy to go down this path not only did you learn to advocate for yourself not only did you learn to question things but in order to do that in order to reach a place of questioning things you have to first question your beliefs question your foundation question all the media and all the things around you and everything you've ever known and that is not an easy thing to do
1: no and it's just like you know you kind of accept things you hear but i have to wonder for example we're building all this 5g here but why are there countries that are banning 5g because of medical reasons you right. know why is is um, That pesticide, I forget the name of it, geophosphate or whatever, banned in most countries, and yet we use it here.
0: All the time.
1: I won't eat, I don't, I eat almost all organic now, unless I have a reason that I have to go out to eat with my kids or a party or something. Other than that, at home, in most places, even restaurants, I go to organic restaurants because you don't, this, all these chemicals, what are they doing to you? Right.
0: Well, and, and most certainly one of the things that I admire about you is that you have found a way to, um, first of all, pay for these things when you've had to pay for them out of pocket. But second of all, part of what you do in your ministry is teach women about how to get insurances to cover as much as possible with some of this stuff, because it is not made convenient to live a healthy lifestyle. It's made very expensive. It's made into something where you have to go and like research and dig and uncover and build connections and really start to um, spend a lot of your time and effort and energy figuring it out. Um, And, and it's a commitment because it's so much easier to just get the treatment that's covered by insurance And not question it takes so much less time and money and effort, but you have found a way to fund yourself and to get insurance to cover things. And, and so talk a little bit about that because you've been a fireball with these insurance companies. Okay. For example, well, I have fought insurance companies. I learned when Pope was alive, when
1: at one point they wanted to send her home from the hospital because it's safer to be out of the hospital than in the hospital as far as germs. And The policy that we had at the time did not cover home nursing, but she couldn't go home without home nursing. So I called the insurance company and I said, here's the deal. You can pay $3,000 a day for her to be in the hospital, or you can pay $1,500 a day for home nursing, your choice. Well, suddenly the policy was going to cover home nursing, and I did have her home for 10 days. So that taught me you can argue with your insurance company. When Jim got diagnosed with mold, I fought and fought and fought. And I finally went to the Department of Managed Healthcare, who got us a legal aid attorney who was able to get us a visit with a mold specialist. The sucky thing was they only paid for one visit. We never even got to go back and find out the results of the test. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But we got around that and did other things instead. But when it came to the cryoablation, I, you know, Dr. Holmes said right up front, because insurance either doesn't cover it or doesn't pay enough, they cannot accept insurance for it, which is fine. Though the weird part is, insurance will cover it if it's a non-cancerous tumor, but they won't cover a cancerous tumor, which is really bizarre. But in January of 2020, uh, Medicare developed, with the help, I guess, of the surgeons or whatever. How, I'm not sure how it all works, but they came up with a billing code for cryoablation for cancerous tumors. It's 581 t It will cover one tumor and it's Mac-based price, which Mac is the, the entity that covers, covers Medicare. And Mac-based price means the insurance company or whoever you're insured by, they decide what they'll pay, how much they'll pay. They haven't set a standard payment for it yet, like most things have. So I, I decided after I had it done, I told Dr. Holmes, I said, well, I'm sending it into Medicare. I'm going to build them myself. There's got to be a way to build. them. So I went and researched and I found there's a a form that I don't remember the name of offhand, but there's a a form for a patient to bill Medicare. So I filled out the form and I sent it in with, with my bill from him. And I made one mistake. I just sent the bill. So it got denied and it said it needed notes from the doctor or whatever. So I emailed his office and I had them give me the the notes from the day they did the cryoablation that explained what they did and everything. And I resubmitted it as an appeal. And within a few weeks, they approved $6,200. And to have one tumor done is 7,800. So they approved 6,200, which was pretty good. You know, Medicare paid their 80% and my supplement paid 20%. So I got the whole 6,200. But I proved to the doctors that you could get it paid for out of network. And so I've I've also researched, most of the insurance companies have a form like that. And I know some ladies that are using a third party biller to build their their, uh, IVCs and IVO zones and stuff. So you can get, I just sent in, I just saw a doctor last week who's never been in Medicare, has not opted out of Medicare, works at the cancer center, which doesn't take Medicare any longer. And I just mailed her bill in, and I'm curious to see what Medicare is going to do with her bill. But
0: you can bill yeah. your insurance companies yourself. And it, it just—it's making me laugh because it's such a simple, it's such a simple concept. But my mom always used to say to me, "Ask. No matter what you're warning right. in life, the worst that's going to happen when you ask is that they say no. Right. You should always ask. You and when they say, say no, no, you fight it. Yeah, I, I think. You.
1: I called, the Depart- I called the Department of Insurance for in the state of California. And I asked them about it because I was having trouble getting my money from Blue Shield because they were just giving me the runaround, but I did eventually get it. But what they told me was, if your insurance company denies something, you call customer service, you ask them who... Now I'm going to forget the word I want. Anyways, who is it that governs your insurance company? Is it the Department of Managed Healthcare, or is it the Department of Insurance or, and I can't think of the word, I wish I could remember it, the word he used, but it's like all insurance companies have some entity that oversees them. So you wanna get the name of this entity and then you call them and find out how to file an appeal. And you file an appeal And what happens is that entity, if they agree with you, can make the insurance pay for things.
0: And it's amazing that with all that you were dealing with emotionally and physically, you were still doing all of this. And and regularly, it's not like you just had to do it once. I mean, this is right, four years. Is that correct? Well, yeah, it'll be four years in
1: April. But I mean, as right. far as the insurance company, I only had to deal with them twice so far, two or three times. Okay. Well, I mean, I did have to fight. Um, the other thing I found about, out about Medicare is one of the ladies that gets IVs with me is a retired Medicare claims adjuster. And what she told me was Medicare has five levels of appeal. And I only had to go the second one or the first one but the fifth level is actually a judge. And she said, if you stick it out through all those levels, almost always the judge rules in your favor. So it's just a matter of, you know, filing appeal after appeal, after appeal till you get to the, that end more than likely you won't have to go that far.
0: Right. I love this Sharon. And it, it reminds me of something. I'm, I'm really glad I didn't forget. Um, you said something to me before we pressed record about how, and, and you hear this in all sorts of stories of extreme challenge, physical and, and, and health challenges where people say, I never owned it. I never decided that that was like who I am and your attitude about not owning your diagnosis, your specific words and, and what you would think and what we would do if you started to worry through all of this. The whole thing, one of those things about
1: cancer is the emotional effect, uh, or not the emotional effect, but the emotional, it could, yours, stress can make the cancer worse or stress can cause the cancer. So when I got diagnosed at first, you know, it, everybody's scared at first. I mean, I was no different than anybody else. But I decided that the power of the power of the mind and just, you know, in the Bible, it talks about speaking things into existence. So I decided I wasn't going to own the cancer. I didn't tell people I have cancer. I told people I was diagnosed with cancer. I wasn't going to own it. And when I did get nervous and worry about it, and if I was going to be okay, I would just say, wait a minute, I'm going to put this on the shelf. I've seen what God did with my daughters. I've seen what God's done with everything else. I've seen the beautiful house he gave me. He's going to take care of me. I just have to hold on to my faith. And I would put it back. I would always tell myself, put it on the shelf, forget about it. And I just lived like I didn't have it. I did what I had to do. you know. I did all my IVs and all my supplements and everything. But I just lived my daily life like as if I didn't have it. And I just didn't think about it. That's incredible because it could drive you crazy. And what's the point? And, you know, why should I let this cancer diagnosis rule my life? I mean, it does to a certain extent because of all the time it takes to do everything, but what's the point in worrying about it all the time when I should just enjoy my life? Because whenever, whatever the end is going to be, it's going to be
0: right. So why let it affect my everyday? I I think that's incredible. I know that um, there have been a lot of things with my health, with my life. I mean, I think that everybody goes through this. I know they do where it's like, it consumes you. Right. And you're so worried all the time, but I, there's also a point in life where something shifts and you stop worrying and you go, you know what? Like it's, I have my breath and my heartbeat and that's all I need. God has me. And I think that's one of the reasons that we, we connect so easily because I've been in that place for a long time and, and it's a beautiful place to be. And it's so liberating. It's so freeing and and you have so much to enjoy. Um, And it doesn't mean you you don't
1: worry. It doesn't mean you don't ever worry. I mean, I get a headache. I stop and think, and then I go, wait a minute. And I always have to talk to myself. Like, if I get a headache, it's like, wait a minute, I got headaches before. Why would it be any different now? Because you've had this cancer diagnosis. So every little thing that happens, you like think about, you know, the back aches. Uh, Wait a minute. I've had back aches before. It's like, you got to tell yourself,
0: this is normal. This is not something new. Yeah. Well, and, and just, yeah, I think that we live in this society where disease is so feared. It's so feared. And I do have my own experiences where doctors have perpetuated that, like, like, like your experience. My, my primary care doctor, when I got diagnosed
1: with cancer and I told her flat out, I am not doing the surgery, the radiation or any of it. She goes, great. So we're going to have to watch you die. And I looked at her, I go, (gasps) you know me better than that i'm not gonna i'm not stupid i'm not gonna kill myself and it's so funny because in march when i had my six-month scans all done and everything came out good i emailed her my biopsy and i said look and she emailed me back and she goes congratulations you proved us all wrong she was willing
0: to admit it i thought it was cool that's fantastic well it's wild that that you had contact with her all this time because I've had practitioners say things like that to me. And it's like, I don't need that in my life. And and I I find somebody else.
1: Well, it's funny. I'm not, I don't see her anymore because she's, she's, I moved, you know, I have new people, but, and I haven't seen her in probably two and a half years, but I just, every once in a while I would email her and let her know what was going on. Now I can't, cause she's not in that practice anymore, but <laughs> I felt like it was important that she knows and that she knows about my surgeon and she
0: knows about the other options. Well, and I think that that is a really cool thing. It it speaks to another level of your staff and your strength, because here's the deal, you guys, anybody listening, um, the system needs to be reformed. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about the education system, the political system, the medical system, there's major kinks in this and it needs to be reformed. And it's not, it's not the politicians and the surgeons, they're not going to go, Oh, I make millions and I'm going to make this different for the little people, right? It's us. And, and so you really are this advocate full circle. You have your ministry and we're going to talk about that where you're helping other women. You have this incredible relationship with Dr. Holmes and who froze the tumors for you. And you're, you're also full circle coming back to these practitioners who spoke these words. And like you said, and I, I know that we live in this, this paradigm where doctors are constantly watching themselves for legal repercussion. Right. Mm -hmm. But what's been lost in that is the power of the word that the doctor has. And, and years and years ago, Um, you know, when doctors came to your house, they knew that, that what they said to their patients had incredible strength and carried incredible weight to their healing of their patients. And, and so now doctors are so raw and vulnerable. Hold on just a second, Sharon. That was my little one knocking. Um, doctors will be really raw and, and vulgar almost in how they present themselves because they, one, I think it's part of their education Two, um, in, in addition to being taught that there is only one way and truly believing that in so many instances, um, they're constantly under threat of being sued, and so they have to say things very factually, very straightforward, very cut and dry, very black and white. But medicine is practice, like you said, it is not black and white, oh, and they should have. What we've lost is this this understanding in a medical profession that what they say and how they say it has an influence on their patient's health. And so you didn't allow that in in a society like we've had in the past where doctors considered that. And and I've read stories where doctors um, didn't tell patients about their diagnosis because they knew that if they did that patient might own it and that would make it worse. And instead they just give them some kind of a treatment and it goes away without the patient ever knowing it's there, right? Doctors can't do that now. But instead, they're so vulgar and and those vulgar words, the way that you were told about your diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? A doctor telling you, "Oh, well, we're just going to watch you die." that has the potential to have horrific effect on you. Those words are powerful. They carry a frequency. And you didn't allow that. You just back me up
1: <laughs> I was like, you know she know me better than that. Well, I mean, and, I've had
0: and, her for 10 years. She should know I'm not going to kill myself after what you experienced with your daughter, with hope. It's almost like that was so intense that you didn't have space your, your reality, what you accept, what you're available for. You don't have space for somebody. to. Oh, I had to,
1: I had to fight with doctors back then. There was this one doctor that was a pulmonary doctor that Oh, my gosh, we went back and forth because I would read her when we got to Children's Hospital, I could read her notes and I would read her notes all the time and we would get in arguments because he'd want to do treatment like he wanted to do a um, cat scan or something like that because she had lazy eye, but he didn't. It was never noted in her chart. she had lazy eye. And so when I asked him why he wanted to do the scan, he goes, I can't explain it to you. You wouldn't understand. I said, that's fine. If you can't explain it to me, it's not being done. And then I called an eye doctor to come in and do a consult. And he just about flipped when he found out. But the eye doctor came in, charted it in her chart that she had lazy eye. And that was the end of it. But he was fuming because I went behind his back. He would write notes. Like when he was trying, wanted to trach her originally. And I wouldn't agree to it right away. He would write notes in the chart. Mother refuses trach. Mother this, mother that. He was always charting the thing. Because he knew I read it. So he's trying to get back at me, I think. But it was like, no, you know, I'm the mother. You're not going to do stuff. If you don't explain it to me, I have to understand why first. Right.
0: And that's what I think about really important.
1: That's what I love about Dr. Holmes is he doesn't tell you you have to do this. He tells you what he needs to tell you. He explains things to you but you're the patient, you make the decision. He respects his patients a lot. When I said no to radiation, he didn't argue with me. He said, this is why you should do it. If you're not gonna do it, then please do
0: this. I love that. I think that that is something that it it, it almost gives me chills because to live in a society where the doctor doesn't ask you what do you want to do? Here's my medical understanding. Here's my information that you need. Here's what I can offer you in your decision. To live in a world where it's anything but that is so convoluted and twisted. Right. And yet it happens so rarely that people don't even know that it's an option. They don't even, there are mothers out there. I've spoken with countless mothers since my own holistic healing journey and adventure that go, you can say, no, you can ask questions. I didn't even know I could tell the doctor they can't do that. And, and they will, they will fight and they will tell you, you have to do this with your child. Unfortunately, it's even extended to the school systems where the school systems will tell you what you have to do medically with your child. And and the fact is that they can't, they will say that they can't, they will threaten you. And the fact that we live in a society, you need that to know the rules. You have to know the
1: rules yourself because they will scare you into things and they're not. They, you, you're so used to them being an authority. You don't even think about it and you have to. You have to, and it's it's, interesting. it's just like in Dr. Holmes case, if you watch the interview I did with him, one of the questions was how big of a tumor have you, what's the biggest tumor you ever froze? And he froze one that was 11 centimeters, which he says in the, in the, the interview, he did not want to do that. He doesn't want to do them that big, but the lady told him, if you're not going to do it, I'm not going to do anything because I'm not having surgery and so to him it was better to freeze it and at least hopefully she'll be okay than for her to do nothing so he gave in to her her request i mean i'm sure this case is where he, he just can't do it for some reason it just can't be done but right.
0: if he can do it he'll he listens to his patients i think that's incredible and the fact that we're sitting here today and a doctor, a practitioner that listens to their patients is unique, is really sad. And so for anybody that's listening, um, the fact that we live in a society where doctors and professionals, not just doctors, it's not just the medical community, but professionals out there will scare you or threaten you into making a decision that is not Okay it's not okay. It's the ultimate form of bullying and narcissism that really needs to be purged from our society because you are your, you are God's child. You are your own sovereign being. You have your own education, your own knowledge. And, and when you're that person who's got cancer, right. Who's been diagnosed with cancer. We should live in a society where the only thing you should do take care of yourself. You shouldn't be having to worry about fighting insurance companies and fighting with doctors. And I mean, goodness gracious. But I think that ultimately it's kind of like when you have a death in the family and you need to cope with those emotions, but you have to implement like they're figuring out what to do with their belongings and making plans for their funeral and their, their body and all that stuff. It almost it's like it gives your mind something to do so that you aren't spending your time worrying. So I think it's probably ultimately good. and and you absolutely are this super empowered person that just handled it with almost an air of comic, like like, oh yeah, I do laugh. like just and you always have. And so every time i every time we message, every time we talk, every time you post, I just, I, I, I gravitate towards that because that's what we need is to not take it so seriously, not get angry at the doctors, not get angry at the system, but don't be afraid to fire a doctor. Don't be afraid to fire a doctor. I've done that. (laughs) I did. I fired my, I fired my first
1: oncologist. You would love this. My first oncologist, I asked for a copy of my office notes. Good thing I did because he had me down. He said I was a type one diabetic. I had unexplained female genital problems, which I've had a hysterectomy, so there's nothing there. Um, And that I had been doing a healing salve with my doctor in Irvine for over a year. Well, I'd only seen her, started seeing her two months before that. So how could it be for over a year? And I've never been a type one diabetic. So I had to fire him because he had, I don't know what, I think he was senile. But here's another thing that really bothers me about the medical profession and when it comes to breast cancer is there's a thing called DCIS, Ductal Carcinoma Institute. It is not cancer. It is a precancerous condition that may never turn into cancer. 30 to 50% of the time it turns into cancer. It's why Angelina Jolie, Jolie, Jolie how do you pronounce her name? Had a, um, a double mastectomy if I were to go to a doctor today, a surgeon other than Dr. Holmes, and they determined I had DCIS, you know what they would tell me? You need to get a double mastectomy. And they would scare me into a double mastectomy. Now, why would you get a double mastectomy if you don't have cancer? Why would you even necessarily get one if you do? But they, I'm in these groups and these women get scared to death that they've got to do this double mastectomy and get reconstruction because otherwise they're going to die of cancer and they don't even have cancer yet.
0: It's, it goes back to that, like sugar feeds cancer. This is, this Actually, piece of information, it goes, to money. it goes, it goes back to money. And it, the reality is these doctors, a lot of them don't even have this information, but the ones that do, a lot of them don't want us to have that information.
1: Well, and then you've got, I've seen, you know, cause I'm in the IV room twice a week, getting my IVC and my IV ozone. I see ladies in there that are getting IVs because their immune system has been destroyed by their implants. They don't tell you how bad these implants can be.
0: Well, I think the lesson is that, and, and this is something that I see really clearly. But again, I think that in general, people don't consider that they don't, it's not even part of their, their train of thought when trying to do anything to take care of their bodies medically. Um, everything has consequences. So if you do these conventional treatments versus a natural treatment, both ways might have the result of death or being, um, you know, clearing your cancer but there's other consequences far beyond that into your immune system and your total health and your quality of living throughout the rest of your
1: life. Well, there's
0: some misnomers
1: out there too. Like the doctors will tell you "Well, you need to get a mastectomy so you don't get cancer. Well, mastectomies mastectomies do not prevent cancer. (laughs) They may lower the rate of it, but they do not prevent it. And if you watch my interview with Dr. Holmes, that was one of the questions. And he says, it doesn't necessarily prevent it because even with a mastectomy, there's breast tissue left behind. There's no way that you can take all, get all of it out. You know, and, and it's just like, if you re- do your research about chemo and about radiation, well, chemo can cause metastasism. Radiation can cause metastasism. None of it comes, out, comes without its risk. You, it bothers me that people are not informed. I mean, I read about radiation and I, I read about the burns that you, that first doctor I said that I saw that, that wanted this, that told me to do the lumpectomy, he goes, the radiation won't be bad. You'll be fine. You might get some burns towards the end. Now, why does that make me feel like I want to do it?
0: It feels threatening that feels threatening again. Like, Hey, you either are going to have like death or just some burns. And it's like, well, what if I can get out with, without either one of those, neither exactly. one of those pleasant. <laughs> and there's a
1: lot of, of like supplements out there for things. It's like, ladies will, talk, will be like, well, I don't know if I want to take these estrogen blockers. And I tell them, go research myomen and dim They're natural blockers. I mean, I'm not telling anybody to do it. I won't give medical advice, but I will tell you to research something. I don't say this is, yeah, I advocate, but I don't advocate as I'm telling you what to do. I will give you doctors that I know of that will do well by you.
0: Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, first of all, I want to go over your interview with Dr. Holmes and your ministry because, uh, and, all of those things. I want you to send me the links for all those things. And for anybody who's listening to the podcast, they will all be linked below in the show notes so that you have access to them. Um, Because this ministry is so powerful and you are so powerful and the connections that you have and the wisdom that you have and the knowledge that you have is absolutely, indispensably valuable. So I want everybody to have the information. So, um, we'll, we'll get together later and you can get all that information to me so that I can have my VA link it. But I want to make sure that we're talking about this interview you did with Dr. Holmes, some of the things, what did you tell me? I have, um, how you're officially a Susan Coleman science advocate, like some of the honors and, and, merits that you've now gotten because you are so incredibly educated and, and this is not a degree or, or, you know, some kind of certification, like you have educated yourself so highly that you are now considered an expert in this field. I don't know if I
1: call myself an expert, but (laughs) I have to say that meeting Dr. Holmes a year ago completely changed my life because he's so passionate for his patients and he's so caring for his patients. And just the way he answered my emails when I had questions and he, he was the first one to totally recognize I had Padgett. He found a second tumor that five radiologists, you know, five ultrasounds, two mammograms and a MRI didn't pick up on the second tumor. And he saw it right away. Um, he just so impressed me that I caught his passion for the ladies so I started sharing about him in the Facebook groups and the cryoblation, and I just it just naturally happened that I started referring patients to him, and and I guess I have referred so many that we've developed this mutual respect. That's just, I mean, I told him the other day, I said, "You you didn't just change my, you didn't just save my life. You you helped me emotionally because I grew up." With a narcissistic mom and a and an alcoholic dad, and and I had a bad self esteem, and now it's like I've got this really, I mean, this person I so respect that respects me that I have to start respecting myself, and it's just so amazing. And um, he invited me to come and interview him for his, he does an every other month um, webinar where he answers women's questions about breast cancer or anything to do with it at all. And he just all of a sudden in July emailed me and asked me if I would come and be his special guest and interview him for his July webinar. And I was just like, so, I mean, if you watch the webinar you can tell I was just so thrilled to do it. I I was, it was like a huge blessing to me. And then last month he invited me to go as his guest to the fundraising uh, um, event for he's building a cancer unit at Glendale Venice hospital. It's gonna be on the third floor and it's gonna be all inclusive where it's, it's breast cancer but where they can refer out if you know if you have other things going on besides breast cancer they'll be able to refer you out to doctors and, and he's
0: the medical director of it. And so it's kind of exciting. That is a huge deal. And there's people like that all over the world. I mean, here's the good news we are past the thick of it, where, what, like, when you were raising your kids and having your babies, there was nobody advocating for themselves in the medical system. You were like the pioneer, right? And now there's people like you everywhere. There's doctors like him everywhere who are bucking the system and creating what. What is the next generation in 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 healthcare, right? Where it's a blend of holistic and conventional where the patient is the expert and and the decision maker, and where there's mutual respect and understanding, and where information is what a doctor gives instead of directions and orders, right? So I think that's really incredible that you guys are are helping to you know create a new reality for generations to come. Where, I've even gotten to observe him do a procedure.
1: Yeah. And what something else that impressed me, because I found out since I didn't know this when I had mine done, but um, several of the patients I've sent there, the husbands have observed. And to me, a doctor that's willing to have people come and watch him do a procedure shows how much confidence they have in themselves and how good they are I- at what they do.
0: And the integrity of what they're doing. Let's actually, before we talk about your ministry, let's talk about, um, your daughters and, and, and you might've omitted a couple of examples, but I know there are more than one example of you insisting on being in the room during procedures. And, and even for me, like I've advocated and I've educated myself and my daughters have Thank goodness, been so healthy most of their lives, like just very few problems. But I've always thought about surgeries and operations, and how like I want to. I think of a, a a person who who is a decision maker, not just the medical people, but the the family, should be present for that. And and in my head, it was so scary to even think of asking that. But you have insisted upon it, and you have been present for your children?
1: I've never been in an operation with them. I did have a daughter who had to have a couple of bladder surgeries and I wasn't in the surgery, but when my daughter that hoped that passed away, she had to have an arterial cut down and I did, and they did it in her room. And I insisted on being in the room. Yes. I was at the other end of the room. I did not want to see it. I just wanted to be there and know it was okay. And my oldest daughter had a a tooth bra, the roof of her mouth and and the dentist didn't want me in the room when he removed it. And I insisted on being there. I sat at her feet. I didn't want to see him do it. I just wanted to know everything was okay. And I wanted well, and her that- to know I was there and to feel comfortable because I was there.
0: And that's an operation of sorts. It's, you know, and and I think that. Well, well I mean, if it, it doesn't,
1: I would probably never try to be in an operating room. I don't right. think I'd want to be in one, but. <laughs>
0: Well, it's just, I think it's important for listeners and other people who are going to look up to you, just like everybody in your ministry and Dr. Holmes and I do um, that, that we really get to choose and that we really are more in control and we have more power than what would be told to us. Right. And
1: if we have, and if we don't agree with the doctor, there's always another doctor. You you have a right to a second or a third opinion.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And you find what's right for you. And, and there's not this desperate immediate need to do what the first doctor says. The first time you do have time to go and, and figure things out. Um, 99.9% of the time. Um, so let's talk about your ministry because that has just been the obvious next step for you that God has, has been preparing you for. All this time, and now, like every time you talk about it, you're just so excited, and you're like almost like a child. Like it's absolutely your passion.
1: I am tired of seeing doctors cutting up women for no reason. I, I found cryoablation. It's a super good. If you can qualify, not everybody can do it. I mean, if there's too much cancer, or if there's, I don't know, there are situations where you just can't do it. But, if it's an option, why should you have to go have surgery? Um I just hate i mean, I guess it's because when I think about me and the idea of having a mastectomy, i just it just my whole body just freezes up. It's just like, no, you know, <laughs> or when I think of you know doing chemo, i don't it's almost like God told me no because just the reaction I get. Feeling-wise, when I think of any of those things, and so it's like I—I'm in some DCIS groups. I'm in the cryoablation group. I'm—I've got a couple of my own Facebook groups, and it's just the idea of you know, hey, look into cryoablation. It—it it might be the answer to your situation. Versus, you know, why just get your breast removed if you don't have to? I mean, there are people. Be- there are cases that you know that's the only reason. The only and, I, and I'm supportive if somebody or if there are people that just choose that makes them feel better. And my whole thing is that, you know, whatever your decision is, it has to be your decision, not a doctor's decision. You're the one that has to live with it. Whatever you're happy with and feel comfortable with, that's what you should do. In fact, I have an
0: oncologist that says you should go with your gut. And I have had some incredible practitioners in the conventional medical system that are more about empowering the patient and say things like that. And that's the place that we need to fully step into.
1: Well, it's funny because my oncologist, I don't think she understands cryoablation quite yet, but now I just sent her a second patient who's had cryoablation. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get her there. <laughs> I'm all about oh educating God. the doctors too. You it are money because, um, I go to Dr. Keneally in Irvine at the Cancer Center for Healing, and she's she's very holistic and very integrative. She's in all of the you know the, the Square One and Truth About Cancer. They all know her, and it's funny because I send my office notes from her to Dr. Holmes all the time because I'm going to change him at, yet a little bit. I'm trying <laughs> to, get him to understand the holistic more. Yeah, He'd probably die if he heard me say that, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I will well, send him the link to this podcast, but I was going to say, hopefully he takes the time to listen to your interview. I know he respects and values. No one here, he probably will, because,
1: you know, we did, um, I did an interview or I, we did a webinar. I did it with this other lady in New York that arranged it. And I think there were four of us that talked about holistic stuff. And I told him about it and he told me to remind him of it. So the day of I texted him and he popped in and answered some questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's in my Facebook
0: groups. That's amazing. It's absolutely becoming so uplifting to see this more and more. Well, I have a lady are- flying in from Texas on Wednesday and my husband and I are going to go drive
1: the two hours and pick her up and have lunch with her and take her to get her procedure done because I don't want her to be by herself. And her husband can't come with her. I had a lady that flew in with her 12 year old son from Australia. And because of circumstances that came up, she couldn't do her Wednesday procedure. And so Dr. Holmes rearranged and to do it on Tuesday night. And I didn't want her roaming around in Glendale at, you know, between seven and midnight with a 12 year old doing an Uber. So we drove up and we went and took her. I mean, it's just,
0: yeah, you know, I don't know. I just enjoy doing that. Well, talk more about your ministry because I'm sure everybody's really excited to hear about it because you are helping women who are not just local from literally all
1: over the all world. All over the world. I've had them from Australia. I talk to people all over the world constantly because I'm on Facebook and And I'll be in a group like even square one. I think I had two or three ladies from square one approach me yesterday or the day before. It's like, if I see somebody who comes in and says, you know, oh, I got just diagnosed with cancer and they want me to do this or they want me to do that. I'll pop in and say, you know, make sure you research cryoablation. And most of the time they'll come back and they'll be like, what's that? And I go, okay, I'll I'll text you some information because Dr. Holmes has an educational video on it. I have the interview I did with him. <clears throat> I have my own story, which is written and I will give them the information. So they're informed. It's the whole idea of being informed of what your options are. Yeah. So the, I've person- had, weird, <laughs> I've gotten some weird responses. Like one lady came back and told me that her doctor told her that cryoblation was a scam. Okay. If one of the leading breast cancer surgeons in the country is doing it, it's not a scam. Right. He is the head of the Helen Ray Breast Cancer Association. He's taught at schools. He ran the frost trials. He did the target trials. He's one of the first people that, I think he might've been the first person to do interoperative radiotherapy in the US or he was something like that. I mean, it's not a scam. And then you get the other ones that come in and say, oh, my doctor says I don't qualify. Well, how do they know you don't qualify when they don't even know anything about it?
0: Right. It's, and it's, it's interesting that a doctor would say you don't qualify when the doctors have nothing to do with qualification, but insurance and the doctors are so far removed. From no, no, no. Qualification that. as in, no,
1: it, you have to qualify for Oh, it. medically. The okay. In the sense of, do you fit the criteria or can he Got do sure. it? Cause there are, that I mean, sense. if you've got, say you've got DCIS and it's just speckled all over the whole breast. Well, you can't, that's not going to work. There are cases where you, it doesn't, you can't do it. Right. That's why I always tell people, I don't tell them, yes, you can do it. or know you can't do it. I tell them send your records in and he will let you know if it's, if it's
0: possible. That's amazing. So with your ministry, you are, it's, it's almost like an outreach program. And women are reaching out to you and you're reaching out to them and you're providing information and support and all the way down to literally driving them there, meeting them at the airport, doing all of these things. Yeah, I'm not sure how long we'll be doing that. We're getting older, but it is a two-hour
1: drive. But yeah, it's beautiful. I really
0: enjoy doing it. I'm looking forward to Wednesday. I'm sure, I can tell. You glow when you talk about it. It's literally igniting you. And, and these women are so gravitating to you because just like I have, they can feel this lack of omnipresent doom that is so associated with cancer. You're just so lighthearted and vibrant and buoyant and above that mindset. And you have been from day one and you've never, ever, ever let anything, but your faith guide you. I know. And it's so weird. Sometimes I think that I'm like, am I really a
1: cancer survivor? Cause it's like, it never, it's like, I almost feel like it never happened, but it did. You know, I've got all the paperwork to show, you know, and
0: <laughs> well, cause it wasn't your identity. No, I'm not going to own it. Nope. Not now, not ever. I, I loved it in the, day in the IV room. This
1: lady was across from me just a couple of weeks ago. And and she, I don't know, I was talking to somebody and she heard me say something about cancer. And she said, oh, did you have breast cancer? And I said, yes. And she goes, well, I just got diagnosed with it. And she goes, you did cryoablation? And I said, yeah, I did. And she goes, have you ever heard of a Dr. Holmes? <laughs> have I ever, by the way, do you know that the reason you were referred to Dr. Holmes was because I told, my, I told Dr. Vling about him. <laughs> so right. now I've got doctors referring to him
0: that's amazing it's so funny you literally course, I are all
1: through on everything and she told me how the procedure went and
0: it's we're friends now that's amazing you're literally changing the system i've been meeting I, it's funny you're probably
1: i don't know if you're which group you're in but you might have seen some of the pictures um a couple of weeks ago when i had my my annual follow-up one of the other ladies i sent up there had her six months follow-up and our appointments were back-to-back, so we have a picture of the two of us with him. That's so I amazing. I like this picture taken. He looks like he enjoys it. It was
0: fun. Oh, my goodness. And then I and had I- another
1: time where I had the lady that runs the Facebook group where I found out the cryoablation group flew out here. She had a surgery with him. And her and I and that same third lady, we met up for dinner one night, and the three of us had dinner together. It's just
0: been fun. I love meeting all these people. It's amazing. And you're, you're, you're almost like a kid, the way that you approach it, just very lighthearted and free. And it's exciting. And it's an adventure. And, and then these women that you're helping through your ministry, get that. It's like infectious. It's like, Oh, well, this doesn't have to be a terror stricken journey. It's just part of my journey. And I, do you remember, I can't remember what the, the, what was the quote that you told me before we started recording about how it's, it's just a part of your journey.
1: Oh, the cancer is
0: just a bump in the road of a long life. It is. I mean, and you are that, and, and you are providing that energy, that, that idea and that light for women who may have had a doctor that said something like, oh, well, we're just going to watch you die. Like your doctor did that, that really got into their hearts that that really got into their, you know, their cells and, and terrified them in every way. And you're like the antidote to that. Well, I think she said that because I think it was a, it's, it was more of a reaction than,
1: I don't think she thought about what she was saying. Right. I think she was just so shocked that somebody would say, no, I'm not going to do that. Cause she probably has never had a patient before that said they
0: wouldn't do it. It's so cool. It's so amazing that you are the first in so many things. And, and I love, again, how you went back and you're emailing doctors to show them like, hey, I didn't just say this, I did this and look at and the tumors are gone. And It's absolutely beautiful. Is there anything else that you can think of that women who are listening, who maybe they're on a journey with breast cancer or a different kind of cancer, or even a different health concern, or, or maybe they're just young moms who are afraid to buck the system because nobody in their family has like I have, or just women who um, are inspired by your journey and by this account of everything that you've been through that, that you think they need to know about your mindset and, and your decisions and how you made this happen for yourself, because there's been a lot of components. It's not just one piece. I think that one of the biggest things is
1: don't let whatever it is control your life because even if, you know, if I'm going to die from cancer in five years, why should I worry about it now? I should enjoy my five years and whatever's going to happen, happens. And first off, doctors shouldn't put time limits on it because there are people I know that were told that they were going to die in a year and it's been 10 years and they're still healthy. They like, don't know. It's the practice of medicine. There's no, there's no genie that tells you what's happening, right? It's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, enjoy your life, take one day at a time. Well, it's just like, We didn't bring this up before, but when I lost my twin daughter from that day forward, I always prayed, you know, God, if I couldn't raise twins, I want twin grandbabies. And I held on to that and I prayed that for years and years and years and years. And 35 years later, two years ago, my youngest daughter, my Job's daughter, finally after 10 years of marriage, got pregnant. Naturally, she didn't do any fertility or anything like that. And uh, I thought it was pretty funny. On the 4th of July, she hands my two other granddaughters a gift bag, and they open it up, and it's got a onesie in it. And I'm thinking, why in the world should she give them a onesie is it for their doll or whatever? Turn it around on the front. It says, "Newton Cousin Crew. <laughs>
0: She's
1: six weeks pregnant. Which we were all totally excited because we were afraid she would never get pregnant, and we were worried because she loves kids. And on the way home, I'm thinking, I said to my husband, I go, she's six weeks pregnant, but she looks pregnant. You don't look pregnant at six weeks. So I text her, I go, Ashley, are you having twins? And she texts me back. She goes, I don't know. I guess we'll find out when they get around to do it an ultrasound. And one day I got this ultrasound picture and texted to me. And I now have Derek and Daisy. So there's all miracles. God listens; He answers prayer. And I look back now and I think, you know, people say, "Oh, horrible, what you went through with Hope." And don't you wish you still had her? And don't you wish this? But you know what, though, if I still had her, I wouldn't have Ashley. I wouldn't have Derek and Daisy, and my son-in-law Blake.
0: And and I don't think we would have you. I I, I probably I think- not. I think that that experience fortified something that's part of you. Um, You know, you just are who you are, but I think it fortified your strength and your tenacity and your sense of humor and, and, and allowed you to go through your own breast cancer journey with such lightheartedness and such ferocity. You just did it and, and you, you were so peaceful and full of fate the whole time.
1: Oh, and even when I went through the whole thing, I just thought of something really funny. When <clears throat> I went through the whole thing with my daughter Hope. I'll never forget it Christmas that year. My mom worked for Travari Jewelry and, and she had sent me all this jewelry and I wrapped up all these pieces of jewelry and I got this big stocking and I hung it on the end of Hope's bed at the children's hospital and I put a note to the nurses. And I had, each one of them, I attached a copy of Footprints, you know, that poem, and I put a note on the end of the bed and I said, nurses, thank you for taking care of Hope. Please take one. And they all got a piece of jewelry for Christmas for me that year. Yeah. And I look back now and I go, in the midst of all that, how did I think of these kind of things?
0: Yeah, just, I just deal with things. I think that um, one thing that I see when I do these interviews and I, I speak with the most amazing women, my podcast you know when i was inspired to do it it was much like a lot of my journey with my practice where i i just knew like god spoke to me like i just woke up one day and i knew i needed to do a facebook group and i knew i needed to be a coach and i knew i needed to start my podcast and my podcast is the newest and every time i do an interview I think, wow, God gave me like the best gift. Like I could literally just do this all day. I get to talk to the most amazing women. Every time I do this, I'm blown away. I'm, I come out of my office and I'm like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and, and one thing that I see across every interview and, and, in myself also is that when you've been through some really catastrophic stuff, it gives you this perspective of like, I'm alive. My heart is beating, I'm breathing. I have every opportunity to be a good person, to make good decisions, to help others, to bring joy and light because my heart is beating. I don't need anything else to be myself and be happy. Yeah.
1: And you, I've had over the past, I've had 18 surgeries and I decided when I got, oh, this is, this is an antidote. You'll love this. When I got diagnosed with the breast cancer and they did my MRI, also the MRI report said on it that they saw a shoulder injury. So I went to my orthopedist. I'd already had two shoulder surgeries already for, um, for uh, torn, but not, or for torn meniscus, completely torn meniscus. So I went to see my orthopedist and they did an MRI of it. And they said, oh, you got a torn meniscus." And now they're trying to get me to do this breast cancer, this lumpectomy. And I'm like, no, screw the me. Fix my shoulder. I had shoulder surgery, but I didn't have a one. The and they all thought I was totally nuts. And I was like, no, fix the shoulder. <laughs> That's okay. <so great. laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that. I forgot about that. <laughs>
0: I think that's fantastic. It's they all incredible. thought I was lost, completely lost. It. You know what? You are your own advocate. You make your decisions, and that is that's the biggest takeaway I think for anybody here listening. Like you get to make your decisions on how you think about things, how you feel, how you react, how you take care of your body. You're in charge, and yeah. God is there to guide you and. And I agree with what you said. Doctors shouldn't be putting time limits on people's lives or diagnoses. That, that's only for it's God negative. to do. It's negative. People and it will end up dying because the doctor said they were going to die. Absolutely. And it's pompous because absolutely yeah. they have no way, like you said, as they're practicing medicine to know that.
1: No, you don't know who's going to do what. No, nope. you don't know. I went for an ankle surgery. They said I had a hole in my ankle and they needed to fix it. And I had three ladies came and prayed for me while I was in the waiting room before they took me in for the surgery. And I wake up and I come out of the surgery and the doctor comes in and says, I don't understand. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, on the MRI, you had this hole we were going to fix. But when I got in there, it wasn't there. He said, so I cleaned up your arthritis and... I don't know what happened. And I said, Well, I had three ladies pray for me. It must have been a miracle. And he goes, I guess so.
0: (laughs) He didn't know what to say. (laughs) It's really bizarre. I think it's I think it's absolutely an important part of this story because just like doctors shouldn't be and have no way of saying how much time any given person has left in this life. Um I think that one thing that I've learned through my healing journey is that their tests and their machines and their diagnostic tools make mistakes. Oh, they they do. make mistakes. That's the bad thing about mammograms. They over-diagnose a lot. Yes.
1: And Absolutely. then like in my case,
0: they missed a tumor. Absolutely. And and miracles happen. And and I I believe a hundred percent miracles and that whole May have been healed by prayer, and that is amazing. And and I think it probably was in your case. It was really oh. surprised to me too, <laughs> I, I thought, thought that was a little petty thing, you know. I didn't.
1: But when I got my twins, it was like, okay, he's listening for sure. And this whole last year, and this whole or the whole four years, it's like it's been such a faith builder
0: for me. It's incredible. And and and. Confidence builder, and and I just I I can't wait to see all the interaction on um with this interview because you get it all the time from all these professionals and all the people that you meet and the women that come to you for your ministry. But I just want to say again, I think I've probably said it ten times today. Like you're an inspiration. It helps me as a mom. I'm I'm not dealing with cancer, but I'm dealing with being a mom and being a person that deals with the medical system. And it's so fortifying for me to hear how you've stood up for yourself and how far you've come. And, and the faith is this wonderful byproduct of all of these circumstances. And I, I live in that space of complete and utter faith and, and people think I'm crazy. You know, I'm not taking things like my health and walking with faith with that In this to the same way that I do with like my business and being a single mom and some of the financial leaps of faith and, and stuff that I've had, but, um, it's all the same. It's like, when you live in total faith in God, and you know, that you're completely taken care of, it's truly being alive. Mm -hmm. It's, it's so fun to be alive and to just know that everything's going to be okay. One day at a time. One day at a time and total presence and joy in every moment. Well, Sharon, I think that that concludes our interview. I'm so excited to have gotten this story recorded. I can't wait to see what Dr. Holmes has to say about it when he gets (laughs) a hold of it. It's going to be absolutely hilarious. And um, all the other women that get to hear this are, are going to be so grateful for you for taking your time. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you. It was very fun. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the quantum health and mindset podcast today. Ladies, if you took the time to listen to this, it means you really care about yourself. Congratulations on taking a small step to putting yourself first. If you liked what you heard, we'd love for you to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks again for joining us, and don't forget to check out my free Facebook group, Quantum Health, Healing, and Happiness for Women.